This is CUNY TV, the City University of New York. American Theatre Wing seminars on working in the theatre. These seminars are coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York, located 42nd Street, right in the heart of the theatre district, where Broadway, off-off-Broadway, and off-Broadway all meet, and where the very best of Broadway goes out across the country, and the best across the country comes into New York. These seminars on working in the theatre are an all-year, part of an all-year-round program that the American Theatre Wing does. Perhaps we're best known for our Tony Awards. That's a grand and wonderful symbol. But what it stands for is the importance. It, is, it was named after Antoinette Perry, in honor of Antoinette Perry, and it is to reward the achievement of excellence in the theater. It's not for the longest run or the best reviews. It's for those who have achieved and excellence in their craft, in the craft of theater. Our organization, the American Theater Wing, is an all-year-round organization, and it says theater. It says theater to the community through its hospital <coughs> programs where we bring professional theater into shut-ins from old Mount Sinai in New York, veterans hospitals, and the Actors Fund home. We also support Saturday Theater for Children, and this is a wonderful program that brings, again, professional theater into the schools, in their own schools, in their own neighborhoods on Saturday morning. The children line up and buy a ticket. They make this commitment. They learn the habit of buying a ticket for a show. And already we have seen the results of this. They come to Broadway and Off-Broadway to see a show not just on their anniversary, and not just because it's a big night, but because it's part of their education. It's part of their need. That's the kind of audience that we hope to develop for the future. The seminars on working in the theater are just that. We have had the performance. We have had the play script, the playwriter, and the director. And now we come down to the nitty gritty, the very important part of working in the theater that makes it all possible the producers, and the production. And this is On Grind, a production that has brought great joy to New York, and we are very pleased to be able to have the producers and everyone involved in the production of Grind to share with us how it all came about. And once more, our seminars are being moderated by Jean Dalrymple, who is author, producer, director, and a member of the Board of Directors of the American Theatre Wing, George White, who is president of the O'Neill Center in Waterford, Connecticut, also a sometime director or all-time director at Yale School of Drama. And we're very pleased to have them both here. And I, of course, and I'm Isabel Stevenson, I'm president of the American Theatre Wing, and I'm going to turn the seminars over immediately to George and to Jean. 
Thank you all for being here. And Jean will begin by introducing at my far left, Mr. Jeffrey Ash, who is the Ash of Ash Ledun, which is one of the most prestigious and best known, and also I might say one of the very best theatrical advertising agencies in New York City. And uh, he's handling the advertising for Grind. And next to him is, uh, is Ronald Lee, and he's the group salesman, and this is very, very important in the theater today. The group sales are almost the support of the theater in many cases. They go out and they get groups and they bring them in, and very often at very slightly reduced prices, in many cases full price. And you see the buses coming in from Connecticut and Long Island and New Jersey. That's all done by someone like Ronnie Lee. And then next to me is Kenneth Greenblatt. He's one of the producers of Grind, or maybe I should say the producer of Grind. I'm never very sure uh, anymore about producers when there are quite a few of them. But I'll ask him in a few minutes all about that. But in, uh, anyway, his background is he's chairman of the board of Kenneth John Productions, Inc., which is a, I just asked him, and he said that is a production company for not only theater productions, but also motion pictures. And uh, he also was a producer of La Cage Fall, my one and only, Zorba, Baby, The Rink on Broadway, Diamonds, True West, and Tanzi on Off-Broadway. So that's quite a record. Uh, on, on my far right, uh, next to Isabel, uh, is uh, the other part of the Kenneth John Productions. I assume that's two names, John Pomerantz, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, who shares, I assume, the same credits of Nine uh, and uh, Le Cage au Fall uh, and uh, my one and only Zorba Baby, The Rink, Diamonds, True West, and Tansy Off-Broadway. Uh, and on his immediate uh, left, is Mary Lee Johnson, who was one of the founders uh, of the Producer's <coughs> Circle, which was formed in, in 1976. And uh, Grind will be the fourth project with Harold Prince, which includes uh, On the 20th Century, Sweeney Todd, and A Doll's Life. Uh, she's also uh, produced La Cage Fall, Firefox, Crimes of the Heart, uh, The March of the Falsetto, Chicago, Dylan, and The Norman Conquests. Um, and on my immediate right is Michael Fraser, uh, co-producer of Lena Horne, The Lady with Her Music, The End of the World, Hide and Seek, uh, Two Keys, and The Women, and Off-Broadway produced coming attractions, uh, Dr. Salavi's uh, Magic Theater, and is involved with the upcoming uh, Nancy's Turn and Together. I think all of this, uh, it's, it's a great thrill to be with so many people who I think uh, could be either considered possibly the most courageous people around today or the most benighted, I'm not sure which. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think to, to take on uh, in, uh, in this era uh, the job of being able to bring us uh, on Broadway the, the theater, uh, the kind of theater that I think all of us grew up with um, and, and dream about when we think of Broadway. And also uh, to bring a, in this particular case, grind, which is a is innately a great American art form, and the con the contribution that our theater really has made to 
the art form of theater, i.e. the musical, in this particular form, uh, is, is wonderful. And in a sense, I'd like to thank them for doing this, uh, particularly this season. Um, and it's an American musical, which is nice. Uh, someone once said recently, a, produ uh, a, a producer of another generation once said about somebody, what do they know about the theater? They've never even been to England. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think uh, in this case, we have uh, uh, somebody, uh, or a group here, who have uh, really given us uh, a great shot in the arm and, and continue the, the uh, tradition of the great American musical. And that I'm personally very grateful to you all for doing that. Let's ask them how Grind began, the very first seed. Well, I think that um, we didn't come in at the very first seed. Uh, I think that Mary Lee's husband, um, Marty Richards, who, who can't speak tonight, he has laryngitis. From, so uh, I'm taking his place. Yeah. <laughs> well, but we were partners in, um, in um, La Cajafol. And good partners, I guess. Nice thing, by the way, of Grind is that we're still good partners. And, uh, well, Mary Lee, maybe you want yeah. to talk about it since you were the seed. Well, uh, Ruth Mitchell gave us a call, first of all. Said, we, I'd like you to come up to Hal's office and hear some music that, from a show that we are thinking of doing. And. We're always interested in house shows. So we all went up there, uh, or the two of us went up there, and really f thought it was a very fascinating idea. There, at that time, there were about only three pieces of music written. So um, it was a sort of nucleus uh, saying, yes, let's go ahead and hear more of this. And um, from that, we got in touch with Johnny and. Uh, the rest of the group here to come on in and uh, that was, in, in your case, you came in too, didn't you, right at that time? I first heard the score. <clears throat> Hal and I worked on a show together last spring called End of the World. <clears throat> and we were trying out in Washington at the Kennedy Center and one day in the midst of organizing that appeared Ellen Fitzhugh and Larry Grossman and Hal said, I want to play this score for you and Roger Stevens. Uh, Roger then being a co-producer of uh, End of the World. So that, that was my first introduction to it, one morning be, just before rehearsals for End of the World started. <clears throat> and it, it, I, w I was attracted to it because it was, a, as you all know now, a rather controversial subject matter, uh, supplemented by a rather fascinating score. Uh, it's, it, it's been a long struggle getting here. The origins of the project actually were with Faye Kanan. Um, the idea originated as a screenplay uh, that Universal had commissioned her to write about seven or eight years ago, and it was never produced. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was about four years ago or three years ago that Faye brought it to Hal with the notion that it should be made into a musical. In fact, I met Faye for the first time uh, a year ago, December, in London at an opening night party at the Savoy and sat next to her. And I said, It's about time you did something in the theater again, isn't it, Faye? And she said, Well, as a matter of fact, I am. She's I'm writing a musical with Hal Prince. So uh, little did I know that a year later, or a year and a half later, it would all be struggling together to make it work. <laughs> Maybe you'd like to pick it up now. Michael pretty well covered it. It was, a music, it was a movie seven years ago that they felt was a problem for Broadway because it had too many um, starring roles. And uh, Broadway, I think, we tried to combine them and have one star. And this time we, so we changed the script and worked on it. And 
try to get some of the controversy out and leave a lot of it in that, that we feel is right. Um, we love the show. Um, ben, I don't want to sound like I'm plugging it, but I am. Well, sure. <coughs> uh, we had some wonderful reviews, and we also had some not-so-wonderful reviews, and we were a little bit disappointed in what came out of it uh, as far as at this point. Uh, we think the show is, like you say, we've done La Caja Fall and Nine, and my one and only, and this is by far and away our uh, project that we, we feel the most high about. Uh, we think it's something that everybody should, should see and make their own decision. We think that the critic, we don't know what the critic's looking for today right, and right now, and, and I hate to get into that controversy, mm -hmm. but being that we have a chance to, we will. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, you know, everybody, my one and only, which is, I guess, our least favorite show, and it's doing phenomenal business on the road, and all it is is good music and dancing. It doesn't have a story really at all. And uh, we're not saying that we're not proud of it because people like it and uh, you, know, you want to entertain also, but grind gets into a much more of a, of a subject matter. And, and when you leave that theater, you know you've gotten your $47.50 or $50 worth and you've had a <laughs> night out that um, you don't forget too soon. And um, unfortunately, it went over some of the critics' heads. And, before, we get, before we get to this, we want to go back a minute. I, I, may I? Please. We already have. I want to go back to, you said you heard the music before you knew that Faye Kingdom was doing the book, or would that come simultaneously? Oh, we, we, we knew that she was step doing. By step yeah, here. we okay. knew that she was doing the book. She was not present. Hal told the story briefly. I see. Okay. Faye Kingdom's book sorry. was written uh, for a movie, and it was on the shelf. And when it came to us, it was the music was partially written, and we really liked everything about it. Mm -hmm. And we had to, you know, sh take away some of the sharp edges and and try to get the storyline to work better. And, um, and as it goes along through the process, which is a common term that everybody process takes your stomach and turns it into knots and ties it, uh, we, we just tried to smooth out the rough edges, and, and we believe we did. Um, when it first started out, it was just a, a book with some music, and we had to, you know, a Broadway music cannot be like just a good song. It has to have advanced a story. So as the story uh, was condensed and worked on, Music had to be continually rewritten so, and to fit the story because you just can't have a song that comes from nowhere. We want a, a song that advances the story. And uh, that's what was done with this, with this show. And was that was the next process. Was it done in workshop? No. It was done out of town in Baltimore. We did not have a workshop. The workshop, what we had was, was, uh, that we had was uh, a Baltimore tryout. And we learned a lot from the Baltimore tryout. What was, what was interesting was um, when Kenny and I went up to, to meet we thought we had an opportunity to work with Hal Prince, and uh, we went up to this to Hal Prince's office and uh, met Larry Grossman and Ellen Fitzhugh, and they just started belting out these songs in front of us. And uh, Ellen has got such great lyrics, and the lyrics just caught us. They, yes. the, the words, and they went through the story, and uh, like Kenny says, probably it's not quite the same story it started out to be. It started out as uh, maybe it would be an ensemble piece, and it's still an ensemble piece with a star. Uh, but it was an interesting first day. At, at Hal, but that happened at Hal's office, and uh, well, we had comments that we made that they made changes overnight. There was three mm -hmm. or four changes in the storyline in, in in five days. It was incredible how fast uh, Faye and Larry and Ellen can work, and and they're brilliant. And uh, they did everything that we were asking them to do right along the way. Yeah. I understand that it was written, first of all, from stories told by Faye's husband, who originally worked in 
uh, a theater similar to this. And then he was a painter of, of scenery at that time. And uh, his part had to come out of the play. <laughs> it was a, <laughs> because it was I, think, I think one of the interesting things about this project to me has been that I think if we all admitted it, uh, in the beginning we all had trepidations about the project because it, it, it really was so massive in its uh, uh, scale. Uh, there were so many things involved in the project that uh, we were all a little apprehensive about how effectively it could be dealt with. But Hal's guiding hand all along the way, in some instances it was just how he told us what was going to happen that, that encouraged us to go forward with this project. And with a project of this size, and we're talking about almost $5 million in terms of the investment in the show, uh, one, and without a workshop, it's a scary project. Uh, you've got to be convinced of having something that really is going to work, that you totally believe in yourself. Did you know from the beginning it was going to be $5 million? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I so. yes. It's, it, it's $4 million seven, but we try to keep <laughs> all of it. We tried, when we were told it was going to, you know, we, we started talking about uh, figures and it was $5 million and I said, I don't want $5 million. We, Kenny and I used to go to alternate meetings. And uh, <laughs> we, we finally, we finally um, um, got it down to what, what we thought was still high, four million seven, and that's what we capitalized it at. Um, that's that's, that's not what it came in at, though. Right. And, and, Our uh, budget came in, mm -hmm. we opened that show, we, we opened at three million four, well under budget, and uh, some of the reviewers uh, said you can see every bit of the five million dollars on stage, and we really believe you can. Okay, now you've got, you've got everything going. When, when do these two gentlemen come into it? That's just what I was going to say. Yes, uh, Mr. <laughs> Ash, perhaps first, then Ron, mm -hmm. because uh, sure. it's Tinkers and Evers over here. Nuts <laughs> <laughs> and bolts. Well, we, uh, chances we were, they're old. That's right. We all called by you. the uh, producers and asked to come up to Hal's uh, Prince's office and make a presentation, having heard some of the music and read the script, uh, to present some of our creative ideas and on artwork for the show and possible television ideas. I must say that these producers produce this show more intelligently than the majority of producers that I've worked with. They have, uh, they were smart enough to uh, raise enough money so that when the show opened and met with uh, mixed reviews, uh, they had money to promote it and to sell it and to appeal to the audience and to perhaps overcome any negativism uh, in the critic uh, that the critics wrote. Uh, but we presented our ideas at, the, at that meeting and they chose us as the advertising agency. We then prepared the ads for Baltimore, uh, did a temporary television spot that ran in Baltimore and which also ran when the box office opened in New York. This also, I think, is a smart idea that uh, Kenny and, uh, and John and Mary Lee used on Lacage. We uh, shot a spot for that, which we ran in Baltimore. It helped to create an awareness in New York uh, of the show so that when the show did open in New York, people were aware of it and we didn't have to start from ground zero and create that awareness. Uh, it was very intelligently produced. How, how did you, just for, to go a little farther with this, how did you 
decide and with whom, obviously in a, in a, in a dialogue or trialogue or whatever, um, what you were going to sell. Because Grind is a marvelous, complex musical about a lot of things. What, what do you, first of all, generally, how do you decide? And then and specifically, well, we're quite what did you limited at, at this early time. We did not have the set and didn't have the costumes uh, completed. So we, we took Ben Vereen and Stubby Kay and Timothy Nolan and Leilani Jones and went into a studio and did more or less of a, a teaser spot. Uh, that we tried to show the sexiness of the show and that it was hot and the comedy with Stubby K and, and Ben Vereen uh, and it was sort of a tease to entice people. It was a bit of entertainment that we wanted to show and with the idea that people would like it and say, well, I'd like to see more of that. Which, who did you talk to? Did, was that Hal Prince or all of these people? Oh, all of these people. Oh, you did it in, the, a, in a kind of a... Certainly the, these folks know, have worked with the property and know the property best of anyone. The best work that we do is collaborative. Was, was publicity included in this when you had your meetings with your... Yes, it is, certainly. We have to work very closely with the press agent, Mary Bryant. Uh, Excuse me, I have to explain. I think you're both confused about what all these producers are or what we do. This is a, a team effort. It's like the board right. of directors of a company. Mm -hmm. And the yes, board, we sit and have meetings every day on every subject, <coughs> and everybody has their own uh, expertise and, and specialties, and we all work together as a team. And this, mm -hmm. this is exactly what I think Jeff is saying, and I think your question is um, of what... Unlike many advertising <coughs> agencies for uh, packaged goods and things, these people are creative people. Uh, the best work we do is in a collaborative effort. Uh, and that's really that's the, the only great Jeff, work. Jeff, can I, yeah. Yeah. George, can I, sure. one of the things that's different about Grind than, well, than just about any show we've been in is that every producer is also a general partner. So, and that's, I don't know if that's ever happened before, but um, we're businessmen. We're trying to run it like a business. Some of us didn't grow up in a the theater. They, we grew up in business. We try to run it like a business, and each of us has a, um, a say. And it, it, some of us, we may, we, I guess we'll get into all these things, but we question, we, we just didn't do things the normal way. Now, um, and we think we came out with a, we think the product, the finished product, we think is fabulous. And, so and we have a wonderful track record. That's right. Right. Mm -hmm. I want to preface my, anything I have to say with, I feel very unusual to be up on this stage because I'm not, one of the producers of Grind. Uh, I uh, happen to think, I don't have to hold back. I, I uh, sell tickets for every show on Broadway and have for 26 years. I think that Grind is a terrific show with an extremely intelligent score. Um, I was delighted to see it. And I don't have to hold back like you do in any way. Uh, I, think, I think, John, I think, okay. Um, my job is to keep uh, abreast of what's happening in the theater. It's the producer's press agent's job to keep me abreast of what's happening in the theater. Months and months before they've signed a contract for a theater or perhaps even engaged a star. I naturally was not aware of the show. Forgive Say me. how many months, because that's important. This is a how. Oh. 
Uh, when do they come to you or you come to the producer? Well, certainly, I w tend to hear about shows the minute they've signed the rights. Mm -hmm. The minute a deal has been made between the uh, producers and the creators, I know about a show. Sometimes I happen to know the creators of a production and I know that they're looking for a producer. Uh, the further in advance that I know, the better job I can do. Uh, certainly adding a star of the uh, stature of Ben Vereen is important to me, sellable. I am, a, in essence, I am a salesman of theater tickets. Mm -hmm. uh, blocks, large numbers of theater tickets, but that's what I do, and I do it well and for a long time. Uh, I think I just want to uh, illuminate something that John said. You said about, in this case, all the producers are general partners. I think you might have to explain that being a general partner means you're putting the neck on, your neck on the line. You're not a limited partner investing just a given amount of money and that you can't be held responsible for any more than that. So when you're a general partner, you are taking on a big liability. And I, I think now that's I'll go, an important point. Absolutely. I, you know, it, it takes guts and courage because it's an, I'm, I think we're all aware that it's, a, it's an art form. It's, it's air, it's talk until it gets on its feet and it's on its stage and you see, try to translate what you've thought about to make it happen and then we get back to Hal Prince because Hal listens <laughs> to the score and listens to the outline of a book and it builds from there. When I learn that Hal Prince is involved in a production, I'm excited. There have been times when I have not liked certain Hal Prince productions but I've never been embarrassed to sell one. Never. <coughs> Are we discussing yes. what, maybe yeah. getting to the basics of what a producer That's does? Right. Yes. yes. And, and what this particular production is. Okay. And I, think, and I, I think Johnny hit on something, and, he, and I, I'd just like to add to it, because I think he left it up in the air, where um, we're businessmen and we're running a Broadway show. Um, we are, we've been involved with shows that we feel haven't been properly produced. Uh, based on the fact that you have big hits and the investors don't make a lot of money. So there's two aspects of it. There's aesthetically exactly what we put on stage and we have a, a product that we want everybody to, to love and everybody to flock to and go to. But if you have a product that everybody does go to and it still doesn't ring in the cash register, um, the production hasn't, produ hasn't been produced properly and that was our opinion. So we felt we could make the, aesthetically we can do all that right because we love the theater and we work hard at it and we learn with every show we've done. And we have, like, 44 Tony nominations, and I think we've won 16 or 20 Tony, now, uh, Tony Awards. So we've aesthetically been right on. We cannot say that we've been right on as far as uh, the income from the shows being uh, worth the risk. Uh, people who are investors who invest in Broadway shows like a, it's a angel $5 million dollar, an angel or a $5 million crapshoot, where if you're going to take that high risk, you feel their reward should be on the same basis. If you go to a window of a, of a racetrack and you bet on a two-to-one shot, you're not supposed to make a lot of money. But if you bet on a hundred-to-one shot, or I think the theater is now called a forty-to-one shot, which I wonder anymore, uh, um, they should, they, they're, they're entitled to get the return back on that kind of an investment. And we felt, on that kind of a gamble, and we felt that we can do that better than anybody else, along with aesthetically making the show as good as anything we can do. And going back to grind, we feel that we have done both. Uh, we have uh, restructured a formula for the industry, um, not that the industry is all for, 
But uh, if it wasn't for our formula on grind, this show, based on a lot of the reviews, might not even be running right now, which would be criminal. It would be, it would be terrible that the public doesn't get a chance to see a show like this. Um, but because of the way we've structured it, they can see it. Kenny, why don't you... Uh, yes, would you How give us that formula? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, is that we, Kenny, before you do that, why don't you uh, <laughs> point out that at the be when we first started getting the cost to this thing under, under the regular royalty formula, I know, we had a we had something like a six at no. capacity. It was something like a sixty-five week payback no. to the investor. It's even more than that, we yeah. found out that if the show was a smash hit, a la La Caja Fall, we had to run at ninety percent capacity to break even. And they said, "What kind of figures are these? What kind of business has to do ninety percent um, capacity to break even?" So we restructured something. That now we have to do about sixty percent capacity to break what even. What is it that you restructured? We restructured, we restructured that this this formula is set up where there are not royalties off the top for the director, the choreographer, the, the, and, um, the and the producers, the, uh, the um, composer and the lyricist, where in all the other shows there's a very high royalty structure off the top, which for some reason the people in the industry don't seem to think that that's a weekly operating expense. They put that separate, and that's wrong. Um, now, because we don't have to pay royalties off the top, we are splitting profits. If there are no profits, nobody makes any money. If there are a lot of profits, everybody makes a lot of money. But we don't take we don't take and, and saddle the production with an expense of royalties off, off of, the, of the top. I don't know why he's waving us. No, no. <laughs> um, this is so, what I want to hear. What so what happens about. is now is, is whatever the profits, whatever profits there are in this show get split up first among the investors till they get their money back and then among everybody else. And what this does is doesn't put a, a heavy burden on a show at this time until it builds and becomes a a real hit, and hopefully when we win the Tony Award and, and get all the Tony nominations and the money starts flowing in, everybody will make money. But until then, we don't have to be saddled with this, say, maybe a 20%. And at 20% off the top, if the show does $500,000 a week, we have to pay $100,000 in one week in royalties, whether there's a profit or not. And that's, what's, that's what, how the structure has been, and that's what's wrong with it. The most, sure. important, well, the, most important bottom line <clears throat> thing, though, is that, that we went from a 65-week payback period to a 26-week payback No, excuse period. me. We went to a 19-week payback no. because we came in a million that's four true. under budget. Right. Well, let's that's explain that's 19 weeks at capacity. 19 I, weeks at capacity. Mm -hmm. I'd like to uh, ask yeah. a, a question. Uh, what do you pay the creators instead of royalties okay. from the beginning? What the royalties, what has been structured well, they for royalties. They got $100,000. Okay. In order for them to sign this deal, we gave $100,000 out of the capitalization up front to split among the royalty people based on their, what their royalties would have been. If, if somebody had X percentage, they kept that percentage. Second thing we've done is we give them $800 per royalty point per week. So, if, for example, if uh, Larry Grossman has two royalty points, and, um, instead of getting his royalties off the top, he gets $1,600 a week, which That's isn't, what I want. Which isn't yeah. guaranteed, which isn't yeah. chicken feed, and it's, not, and it's also not you know, twenty-five mm -hmm. or $50,000 that he might have made in royalties, which would have really settled the... the uh, I hope you're getting a sunburn from these lights because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I want to I want to uh, come yeah, in here a moment. You need to take bows and then you won't. <laughs> I want to I want to uh, step in a second because uh, we have here with us uh, also someone um, as a co-moderator who has been a and is a very distinguished producer uh, and I would you know often uh, people say what does a producer do exactly. Uh, you hear this, uh, and, and, and sometimes it differs. Uh, I think, Gene, I'd like to have you start and, and compare what you, your history as a producer with what we have now, which is a team, because I think the balance, what does a producer do? And then from there, how do you compare 
what you do how and how, the, how, it, how it's structured differently. It's 100 percent different. Well, that's what I want. I want to hear that difference and see. Yeah. It. I bet you'll find it won't. The way okay. the way right. uh, <clears throat> the way I always began was just find a script that I liked, and then find a, a director that I liked, and put them together and then begin to cast, and then go and get the money to do it, and go to the Schubert's and get a theater, and then go to New Haven or Boston or someplace, and, and try it out. And of course, I'm talking about the time when you could do a very good play for $100,000, uh, and musicals for 250, and it was a very different thing, and there were many producers who used their own money. Uh, I mean, Gilbert Miller never had any partners, Jed Harris never had partners, John Golden didn't, and so forth. They just put their own money in and, and went ahead, and it belonged to that one person. And they made all the decisions. So this idea of a board of directors doing a show is something very new, but it seems to, thank God, be working to save the theater. And Every, I thank you all. Everything's the same. We do everything the same as she does. She did. Or does. I hope she still does. Uh, except there's some zeros difference at the end of those numbers. And also, uh, we do also put our own money in. I don't want you to think oh, no, I know that. that we only have investors. So. No, I'm not thinking about the money part. I was thinking about uh, you, you came in because you had Hal Prince. You know, and you all came in because well, that was of the that. There's no yeah, question about see, that. But I had, when I go in to do a production, I have to find help. Well, how is it? Hal also show. had a different head in this because, um, well, he didn't raise money. The only he, problem. No. he was also a, a, a producer. Mm -hmm. um, We're not hired hands. No. What we do is we <laughs> go to a, what, what happened <laughs> no, in I essence, know. in essence, the start the of this. The start of this is that we all got together and we decided uh, after a few meetings that. We would commit to five million dollars, four million seven hundred thousand, four million seven hundred fifty thousand. That's wonderful. That was the commitment. <laughs> now, once uh, we did that, we became the general partners, and we were liable for four million seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. We didn't come in at the end and, as a producer. We were responsible. Then each of us decided we'd break it up into quarters. Mm -hmm. Now, can I mm. come in there? Did you, did you then offer this to investors? Yes. Parts of it. Yes. Yes. Uh, what percentage? How do you? Let me do tell it? you this: how that works. We commit to we, the whole, we whole have money. A few minutes okay, I'll do it quickly. Break. We commit to it's all the money, guy. the five million dollars. If there are no investors that are interested in the property when they come into rehearsal or whenever they see it, we will put up the whole five million dollars. Simple as that. Um, the difference between what you said about hiring the director, we would yeah. also do that, except that Hal Prince owned the property, yeah. and he, we were very happy with the director, and we still are very happy with the director. Uh, we couldn't have asked for a better director for, for the show. The show is that complex, and Hal Prince is probably one of the, one of the, well, maybe the only one that I know of, but maybe there's a couple others that could have pulled a show like this off. Um, the $5 million, if we have $5 million worth of angels, we wouldn't take $5 million worth of angels because we wouldn't do a show unless we have our own money in it. That's how we feel. I wouldn't, yes. say, that's, I wouldn't say that about all, all uh, producers, but that's, we will not do a show without our own money it's substantially to, in it. Yeah, we have mm -hmm. to let these people know that we're on the line just like they are. Exactly. And that's why we tried to, all four of us, now try to protect them. Now that we go along about percentages, what percentage for advertising of, of your investment? How do you begin working that out? Do you have a certain percentage that goes into advertising? Usually so much for media and so much for television? <laughs> yes, usually the rule of thumb that has developed lately is 10% of what a show can potentially gross uh, a week. For instance, if uh, this show can gross 
$350,000 a week at capacity, the advertising allotment would be approximately $35,000 a week. Now that's split, spread with newspaper, television, radio, outdoor, uh, and that, that's the rule of thumb. There's, an, there's another section there, too, that you should involve this. As we do with everything else, there are pre-production costs for advertising. And uh, our major television commercial will come out of our capitalization expenses, which can be as much as $100,000 to $125,000 for a big musical television commercial. And that initial thing, the initial things that we did even for Baltimore came out of a capitalization situation, too. So the 10% figure is, is the running expenditure as opposed to the, Beginning the, the major mon yeah. monies that are usually spent up. Our commercials cost twice as much as Gene's shows used to cost. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. <laughs> yes, we know that. <laughs> well, I think Ken, before we get off one subject, I think Kenny and John are really unique in the theater in that they started off by putting their own money in as investors. And uh, <laughs> I think it's the first, if not the first, the second time that they're general partners. They've grown from the, from the point of being, well, they're both very successful businessmen to begin with in other areas, but they've grown out of the ranks of investors to uh, become full-time participants and producers, which is are really... You, are you in the theater for good now? Absolutely. I'd okay. like to try it. I'm going to stay here until I get it right. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? You've got a long life. <laughs> We want to try to understand what everybody wants because we think this is the best thing we've ever produced. And what we have with all these Tony Awards, you, <clears throat> you wouldn't expect us to make that statement. But uh, this is the best property we've ever had. I'd like to bring something oh, right. up if yeah. I may. Thanks. You, uh, what was raised here was uh, bringing the cost of running the production back to 60% uh, of the potential capacity. It's monumentally important in the realm of theater. It's, it's a just now beginning to get back to the approach in London uh, where you can run a show generally. The accepted formula is that you can keep a production open in London if it's running between 40 and 50 percent of capacity. This is one of the reasons that now, with the supposed weak economy in London, every theater has a show in it. Not all of them selling out, but all of them running at between, at over, of 40 or 50 percent of capacity, which has the effect of giving the public, the all-important public, not the critic, but the public, a chance to find the show. Well, that's what you're doing, aren't you? Exactly. This time, yes. Mm -hmm. You better. And that's yes. a very important part of, of producing now, uh, the theater. Could I ask a financial question? Sure. How much were the units, if you wanted to invest in this? The whole unit was $95,000. But we didn't, we didn't that's, that's not the whole answer, though. We, did, we would take, uh, if anybody wanted to invest any amount of money, we would divide up a unit, unit just to have people involved in the theater. And not that we needed the five or $10,000 investors, but you like to have them there because yeah. they love the theater and they want to be, feel a part of it. Mm -hmm. So we didn't turn any investor down as low as down to uh, $5,000. $5, really? uh -huh. um, I think one of the problems with the theater and why these, some of these operating expenses got so high and they weren't concerned about um, the bottom line of the investors making money is uh, is people got greedy in the theater, and certainly not you, but uh, there are producers that <laughs> there are producers out there that are, are living <coughs> living off the money from the theater um, or from the show, whether the show made a profit or not. They weren't as concerned. Um, we have a lot more concern about that. And, and Ron made a great point about the theaters in in England being able to run. Um, I would feel terrible. If, for anybody who likes a theater who didn't get a chance to see this show or, or, or a lot of other good shows, and, and because of the 
greed of some producers, or, or well, I'll use the word producers mainly, um, of milking a company, just like any other business or, or any other company where the owners of a company, you know, you, you look at a, a balance sheet and you see that the company has no net worth yet. You see the owner's riding around in a Rolls Royce and he's living in a house in uh, Scarsdale and they're living like a king, but the company has no value. Well, that's what's happening to a lot of shows, and that's the reason some shows couldn't uh, remain open and sustain um, mixed reviews. Uh, and, and we really, this producing team has not taken a dime uh, and, uh, to, uh, for themselves, and they've run that show. This show is being run for the show, for the investors, and for, for the cast, for everybody that put in their, their, I don't know about this on TV, we're but their guts into the show. Right. Because uh, they deserve to have a show run. They, we put in nine months of work, and, and Ben Vereen and and everybody in the cast and Hal Prince have put two and a half years in, yeah. in the show to get it to this point. And it would be a shame because of a few critics uh, not being their cup of tea to have the show closed before I it had a chance a to, to live. Yes. <laughs> that's the way it is. And what we have to do is be able to make it available to the people. You have to be able to take it to the people. Jack? Also, make that ticket price uh, something that the, the public can go to. Well, the, the only first thing that's happened, excuse me, the first thing that's happened with these royalty structures is just the, the tip of the iceberg. And when you have, and I'm not knocking the people at the window, they do a great job, but they're not entitled to thirty-five to forty thousand dollars a year. Um, uh, okay, that's something I, I, I want to just stop. Uh, cut in a minute because I think this is true. There is an, uh, an issue that I think when we come back we should get, get into, which is, um, is Broadway in a self-destruct mode or is it in a self-policing mode or do we need a Lee Iacocca to come in <laughs> and do something with the Broadway theater to make this work? It is scary. You need a Watergate committee. You, pick, you picked up your cue beautifully. Right, <laughs> Can I just yeah. take a break for oh. one minute, and then we're going to come back. And I want you to save all of your answers and questions among yourselves, because they're very important. And we're just, please don't go far away. Stand up. We have a minute or two to stretch. And then we'll be back again with the American Theatre Wing Seminar on working in the theatre. Thank you. We're continuing the American Theatre Wing seminars on working in the theatre. And these seminars are coming to you from the Graduate Center at the City University of New York. Today's seminar is on grind. It's on the production of grind. Everything that goes into the making of this production. And we are very pleased to be able to have both producers and the advertiser and the group salesman and the people that make the show come together. We left off with George White talking about Broadway, what we're going to do about it, and what these people have done about it. And George, I'm going to turn it over to you right now. And then Jean Dalrymple, who is co-moderator, will pick up for her side. Thank you very much for coming with us. Thank you, Isabel. Uh, yes, uh, one nice thing, and, and the thing that makes uh, the American Theatre Wing seminars uh, on the air so, uh, such a great parlor game is you've got to be quick because if you don't, you can miss a great addition. Uh, and suddenly things change with a blinking of an eye. Now we have John Pomerantz over here, and we've been uh, we have now uh, been joined uh, by a marvelous person who promises that she won't hide behind the chair or under it. Uh, uh, here is a, a famous and wonderful producer, uh, Ruth Mitchell, who has been involved with 21 uh, productions with Harold Prince, including uh, Sweeney Todd and Evita, uh, and I 
told her at the, uh, at the interval that uh, uh, it was about time she understood what people have to do on stage. So I'm delighted that she has joined us uh, in the interim here. Uh, we were talking about uh, a, the, the issue of whether or not Broadway um, was in a self-destruct mode or whether indeed it could be self-policed. Uh, do we need, and everybody uh, laughed or blanched at the fact, I, I mentioned Lee Iacocca uh, for Broadway and the need for this. Uh, and I also, it occurred to me, uh, there is, uh, there's another thing which is, uh, how does, why, that's one issue which I think we must get back to. The other is, um, why does a person, how does a person get into producing to begin with. Why do they do it? I know people have the uh, image often of Zero Mostel in, in the movie the producers <laughs> running around waltzing <laughs> old, old ladies uh, and, and putting on springtime for Hitler and all of this. Uh, but um, I, I don't think that probably is, is indeed the proper image. Uh, I'd like to ask uh, Marilee Johnson, um, first of all, a little bit about your feeling about where Broadway is going and what can be done in, in this escalation of costs, and also, secondly, how you got into the business. I think that uh, as far as what, where Broadway is going is uh, very, very difficult to answer. I think that we're trying very hard with our new formula here to uh, get things back in a little more of a normal state, but uh, I don't know if it's the whole answer. Uh, I think that we, everybody's got to put their heads to this, including theater owners um, and the whole theater district, uh, actors and so forth. I think it has to be a combined effort. Um, you asked me how I got into this? Well. And why is implied there as well. <laughs> Uh, well, I think that, that really I've had a lot of members of my family that have been, have been on the fringe of the theater for a long time and really wanted to, after raising a family, to get in and do something myself. And I first started out by being an angel and then after that decided, well, this isn't, it's fun, but it's a... Um, you're not doing anything, so you might as well produce. And um, so at this time, I happened to meet Bobby Fryer and my husband, Martin Richards. And um, we decided we'd all get together and form a company. And uh, we did that. <coughs> and it's been hair-raising fun. <laughs> uh, that's that's about that's about all. Some of it some of it is just so marvelous. You're crazy. Anybody who goes into the theater is crazy. <laughs> but um, that's it's it's part of uh, it's what you choose to do. And I choose to be crazy. <laughs> Fair enough. Thank you. I'd like to ask, since Ruth joined us, what is an executive producer? I think it's the title I made up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's. Uh, I feel it's somebody who really takes care of seeing that the production is handled. That is everything that goes on, mainly from backstage, from the curtain back. Uh, I'm not. I'm terrible at raising money, so I don't like to do any of that. Uh, I'm not good at it, and uh, I, I, 
on this one I was uh, doing the casting, mm -hmm. and seeing that all, all the elements of making the director happy and seeing that the production goes together. That's the costumes, the scenery, the lighting, uh, the crew, everybody that has anything to do with backstage. Do you yeah. work anytime, with the general? <coughs> oh, so anytime you'd hear a voice call, where's Ruthie? There would be. <laughs> Ruthie would come up and try something out before an actor had to try it out. Isabel, um, I think maybe modesty is at work here. I think what people should know is that Ruth is one of the, if not the foremost, stage technician in the world, mm -hmm. both in Great Britain and here. When I heard she was just connected with 21 Halpern's productions, I think she has probably been involved with 2,221 productions in her lifetime. And it started so when somebody right says, where's Ruthie, it's because thing. Ruthie will know where everything is or should be. Ronnie and I started out. Ronnie was a dancer in one of my shows. I would consider Ruthie in this show. Um, Al Prince's right-hand woman, and I'd say she's assistant director, or even more. I hate to use the word assistant director. She was co-director with right. Al. No, assistant director. Of the work. Uh, I don't. Al's great. I don't know. I hate to see Hal without Ruthie. <laughs> you know what? He's fine. <laughs> I want to know what, what about the general manager? Where does he come in? That is, again it is a front of uh, more dealing with the production budget. Could you give us that's all line? the budget and the. Uh, he also mm -hmm. takes care of the company and contracts and things like that. Mm -hmm. But it, uh, we Dollars work very sense. closely Nothing together. Artistic. Nothing artistic. Yes. Yeah. Business. More business. Mm -hmm. He's the business manager. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. we work How did you start, other. Ruth? I started out being a, a dancer mm -hmm. and an actress and then a stage manager and associate producer and then <laughs> my grand title, executive producer. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, you couldn't go any place. <laughs> now. Jean, your side. My side. I don't know why all the men are together and the women here. I don't know whether it's yeah, it just means that way. How did that happen? It wasn't that way, John. <laughs> John, John, John was, was okay. <laughs> <laughs> sex change <laughs> operation. <laughs> well, I'd like to hear some more from Ruth about the beginnings of Grind. The beginnings? Oh, well, it was over two years ago that uh, the house started working on the script that Faye brought in. And... Uh, developing it with uh, Larry Grossman and Ellen Fitzhugh uh, as to where it was going to go as a musical. And uh, it was just constant work for two years of getting a version of the script back and then Hal sending it back to the coast and saying, well, this scene needs something and this needs something, until we finally got the script that we went into rehearsal with. And then uh, we started casting it. And uh, I think we came up Who with did a wonderful the cast. Who I did, did the, you did the I casting? Did on the, I don't usually. Uh, jo, we have a wonderful casting director in our office, was Joanna Merlin, but she happened to, who's been with us for years, but she happened to be doing the movie at the time, so uh, I got the job. And it was Do, the first show I really In cast, most of your productions, is casting done from the office? Yes, mm -hmm. from within our office. She sets up the auditions, and then we all go to them and uh, pick the people, but uh, she brings them all together. But on this one, I did it. So. And it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. How long did that take? What, how long, what, how, what's the time frame now? Actually, it was not, I don't think, very long. I started in September, uh, about the end of September, about, I think around the 28th of September, with the equity uh, auditions that make you have first, the interviews, equity interviews and things, plus getting everything out to the agents. And, uh, things. and uh, we were finished by, I guess, December, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Three months, three I'd months. say. Yeah. Three months of, of casting. Yeah. When did you think of Ben Vereen? Right in the beginning. Oh, very yes. Right in the very beginning, he was the one person we wanted and, for that and role. Stubby K. Stubby was a little bit hard. I mean, we, it was that was a very very hard part to cast because it's, a, it's an age where there aren't too many mm. top bananas around anymore. So Plus the yeah. singing part. Plus mm -hmm. singing, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. You everyone's talked about the two years that that you work in. Is that unusual for this larger project? Not for how. No. 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 Not for anyone. No. No. Usually the minimum of. Time it takes to work on it. So that That's this it. was not any more uh, mm -hmm. laborious than anything else. The cars took five years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can we go back now to your Broadway bit? Yes, I, I do. I, I was just. I wanted to go back to this. I, I do think um, we we constantly hear the the issue of the escalation of ticket prices. Uh, Gene was talking about the two hundred fifty thousand dollar musical, um, and um, not that it, it could ever get back to that point. But we do know there are there must be issues. I have heard around the street, as they say, often that that there that these shows should not have to cost this kind of money. That yes, we understand we've gone through inflation. We we have gone through all, all of the kind of issues that have gone on, but there are problems uh, in terms of the cost of Broadway shows. Um, that mean that, that they must be addressed. And this goes to, uh, uh, from all sides, it was alluded to a little bit by, in terms of, of the deal that is set up. But I'd like to have uh, uh, this panel particularly address the kind of, what is the structure, where, what can be done? I, it's true, I, I agree with Marilyn that, that uh, we must, uh, everybody must put their heads together on this, but let's, let's start now, right now. What, what, what makes it fifty dollars? Exactly. What, what, what percentage? When you price something at fifty dollars, why is it fifty? Yes. Kenny started off with something very interesting of, in terms of what we've done as a group of producers, and I must say that John and Kenny were, were are the best new blood that's come into the theater in a long time because they really made us all kind of shake our heads and say, "What the hell are you doing, guys? There's a better way to do it." Uh, they've made it happen in this one particular instance with the royalty holders, but I think we've got to go much farther than that. I think we all live with a really bad, uh, you mentioned Lee Iacocca. Well, Lee Iacocca addressed an issue that was very important to his industry, and that's the labor costs. And I think it's uh, one of the major things that we have to contend with here. I don't think there's one villain in the theater, but I think we first have to go back and, and, and look at the basics, and the basic costs have to do with labor. And somehow, we're all now willing to take a some of the risk involved. I think some of these organizations such as Actors' Equity and, and the stage, uh, the Directors Guild and some of the others must be willing to take some of that risk along with us by taking lower rates up front and then maybe sharing in the pieces as we, as we all get rich from it. Um, I think you, you mentioned, you mentioned the, in effect, what are the guilds. Uh, I know uh, in one case that a beater, and, and I have nothing against a beater who you know, puts beads on costumes, but at the moment I believe the, the figure is $800 a week. Uh, that's, uh, as they say, not chopped litter. No, it is. You can always have less beaters. But why have less beaters? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that goes back to Isabel's fifty dollars a ticket. Well, yeah. Yeah. Can you, you know, when you price, when, when the businessman as you are price uh, something, you know what it is that you that price from profit to cost. We haven't 
I think fifty dollars is a is a magic word that I would like us to stay away from because we don't have absolutely. $50. No. It's forty-seven fifty. Things are bad enough. Oh, <laughs> it's a Saturday, too. And a lot of people you go there for less than forty-seven fifty, and um, it's right. bad enough to up to forty-seven fifty or forty-five dollars. I don't think we should talk about a fifty-dollar price. I, I agree. There's very I, I little be, difference but, uh, but, to the on. average public. There is very little difference. I, I think that, that uh, what we really are talking about, and I think Gene alluded to this at another seminar. Um, is that we're really talking about trying to get nearer to a 20 or 25 dollar ticket where you can cut back to make the theater accessible to people that are now cut out of it in many, many yes. ways. There are yeah. 20, you know, this is the there negative is. publicity that goes through the theater world and there, there are plenty of 20 dollar tickets, 30 dollar tickets, 15 dollar tickets to every show on Broadway. The only publicity that you always hear about is the 47, 50 and 50 dollar tickets whereas a Saturday night audience, which these are the theaters Nights that are sold out, you can't get a ticket for forty-seven fifty because you're sold out in the in the big hit shows. Um, so you're getting again a negative publicity that comes out of the theater industry itself. Secondly, there is no reason, no reason whatsoever, that's grind, a La Caja Fall, these kind of big hit shows that should ever cost five million dollars. This show came in at three million four, and at the three million four, um, we had waste and we had things we could have done better. I think a two two and a half million dollar show, you could do and you can do it with every bit of glamour and glitz and pizzazz and everything you want. I think what happens is in the old, in the, in, in the past, before us, uh, <laughs> um, that the other theater, was that if they had a budget, and, 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 and coming from business, you know, a budget is made and it's an arbitrary figure that you make up and it's not exactly what you, this is an estimate. So with some, with some of the producers or the people or the theater, the, the, the costume designers or the set designers, they see a budget and they say they have $500,000 for the set. Well, then they go out of their way to spend the $500,000. Instead of going out of their way to bring that same set to look this way, to come in at $150,000 or $200,000. And it's a, it's a thinking that they feel they have to buy fabric, uh, silk fabric from Paris as, a, as opposed to buying it from a, some jobber on 1st you know, Street, and, which is just as good, and, and in the first row can't tell the difference. And it's an ego trip that a lot of people are on in this business, and they want to spend as much money as they can, so they can say we have a $5 million musical, and that $5 million musical is supposed to be better than a $2 million okay. musical, and it isn't. All right. Well, can I ask, where does the, the, the great lump of money go? Is it in the set and the Sets costumes? and costumes. Physical production. Really? Yeah. Physical production. Well, well you can't, budgeted. well... Yeah, the set, the set particularly, the set is, right. is, is sets, high. Sets, uh, well. Costumes actually are, are, are relatively inexpensive. How much was the set? About 30%. $500,000. That's the set. The set was $600,000. I think the costumes were $250,000. Oh, you need you can build a good extra house stage hands yeah. because of the revolving stage? Oh, yeah. Sure, that, yes. that adds to it, but that's the... No, because that's motorized. That, so that when you begin doing your costs and you have a wonderful set such as you have, and it... It is, does not, re you say yes? No, it doesn't require more people necessarily because it revolves, because that's motorized. So but it's if, not it, if it required less, less and less possible, set, there'd be fewer people, wouldn't there? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, it would really depend on yeah. design. It yeah. could be less elaborate, but you could have a lot of drops where you'd need a lot more people in, the, <laughs> in another department in the fly floor. Uh, yeah. We need very few because it's... There are problems that they, it's, it's been public. I think this show um, um, with Anita Morris. Uh, no. No, not nine. That one I would remember. <laughs> uh, the one she did that before that. Anyway, they had a big, it was in a 46th Street Theater, um, best little whorehouse in Texas. And they were complaining because they had to use 26-piece orchestra, and they really only needed a, maybe a five to a 10-piece orchestra. And there's union rules. The unions, and I'm not a union buster at all, but I just feel there has to be people to take a look at what they're forcing us to spend on certain things that aren't necessary. Even our show, which we have 25-piece orchestra, 
We probably maybe we could have done it for twenty. Maybe we could have done it for something else. But there are union rules that we can't break because there we don't. There's strikes. There's pickets. There's everything else that to say this is the way it has to be done. And everybody, if you only need twenty pieces, you have to use twenty-six pieces. So right off the bat, somebody's paying extra money for a ticket because six people, That's excuse right. me, do not have to be in the orchestra, but they're in the orchestra. And if we don't want them in the orchestra, they have to stand in the back of the theater and pay them as if they were in the orchestra. Right. Well, These are the things that have to be approved. This is true. By the way, they're, they're called walkers, the people who, right. who come That's to the right. theater and get paid and don't work. They walk to the theater, so they're well, I must known say in the union. Morty has walking. tried a new uh, theory where he has uh, put a show in a Broadway theater, but only opened up half of the seating, say and dealt with the unions and gotten them to make concessions so they are paid on a lesser scale. And then if the show is a success, he can open up the entire house and the uh, unions will then be paid at a, at a higher scale. rate. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think this is this negotiated, and I think that's important to negotiate with, yeah. with um, the unions, not just blame. Sometimes fresh blood is, is good and sometimes it's we definitely are questioning things in the industry, but in my other industry, which is the clothing industry, my father always told me never to be partners with the guy who owns the factory. <laughs> and I think that what's happened here is over 50 years or 30 years of, of negotiations between a league of producers and theaters, I don't know how long, how old that, that, that organization is, but the it's not a league of producers and it's not a league of theater owners it's a league of both and they don't have the same um, interest no? they don't have the same interest no one seems to want to say that but uh, i guess someone like me who's new could say it as long as <laughs> as long as the theater owner is negotiating with the union and all he has to do is say to the production producers well i'm getting my cost out of this then there's no reason to fight with the union uh, and, and they have nothing at stake and over the, what's happened is over the years it's been built up and built up and built up and the they're, only they're giving this, the store the away. This could ever is what happen is if there's givebacks by these unions, and and I don't know Ruth, but what would happen if we if we could have decided we didn't need all those stagehands? Do we still need them? I mean, in this case, we do. In this case, but we do. Could we have said uh, we only want two? You know, ludicrous. But could we have said we only wanted two stagehands and got away with it? Well, that's well, supposedly respect for each other, I think, and, and negotiating with them. It's the not, it's not a question of the strike. wrong people negotiating no. for the wrong things. You, have, right. you have people. Okay. It's the cat watching the milk, and, and that's what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it can't work. The you just can't you're work. You're now members of the league. Yes. Well, I'll tell you something. Why don't you become more active? What was interesting is that 24 hours a day, seven days a week right now. Yeah. Isabel, what was interesting is that we didn't know that there was a um, new contract coming up being, being negotiated. What was interesting was the, the Authors Guild hated what we proposed and finally did. And we didn't really get any kind of um, support. support from the theater owners or for the producers. It's almost like everybody's got a death wish. And, um, I think all we tried to do is say we were going to open up the business. And we looked at our overhead. And we looked at that. You're no, not the I only one that's done this. Yes, Didn't uh, Harley Burley do this? Have can a, I just a, finish a, 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 a yeah. profit sharing? Yeah, let, let John finish what he was saying. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. <coughs> I let you yeah. they basically, yell at what, basically, what it is is that you look at a business, you look at a, at a balance sheet or statement, and it says your overhead is X and you could produce Y, and then you've got to decide either you're going to produce more or you have to drop your overhead. And all we try to do is drop our overhead. And um, there's only so many places you can go for because. Did you did you also negotiate with the unions as, no, we as well? No, the, the die was cast. But I got to tell you something else. He just said a, made a great point. 
the whole, every single person who's produced a show, who is about to produce a show, who will produce a show, who hasn't even thought about producing a show, should be supporting us 100%. Yet we haven't had two people come and say, boy, you're doing the right thing. Your, 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 your ideas, your concepts, what you're doing is right for the theater. We want to get behind you. Instead, Jimmy we've had, we've had, oh, Jimmy Linda has, yes. Absolutely. That's one, so we haven't had two. But we, we uh, everybody that's a producer or says he's a producer should be supporting us mm -hmm. because we're doing something that's right for all the other people. Yet we've had such, I mean, how Princeton get dropped from the dramatist guild, it's absurd. It's absurd. It's like saying Babe Ruth, when he was playing, shouldn't be able to play baseball. Uh, you guys the best. There's no reason that the, we didn't get total support from the entire industry. And the, uh, the president, uh, Richard Barr of the, of the producers, um, the league, the league, the league producers, yeah. he, he called himself and said, he questions what we're doing. He doesn't understand it. <laughs> I mean, Where do you stand now? We stand now. We've taken our stand that everybody supported us, support us. And like I said before, this show, based on the mixed reviews, wouldn't be able to run if we had to go by their contract as opposed to our new contract. Fortunately, because of this contract, this show is going to go for it and this show is going to be a hit. And, and, well, and we're going to be around there to prove that this thing is right. right. Let me, let me uh, bring it with, with Ruth, too, uh, a little bit, because we, we got into uh, a, a bit about this uh, with the unions, and I do think it's, it, it, is, it is critical uh, to, to the overall concept. I think that what Morty Gottlieb did on, on his play of, of, of is a good idea, but you're still, he's still cutting back the amount of people that can go and then escalating up. It, it, it makes an interesting, perhaps landmark statement because we, we, we begin to see concessions happening. So that's important. Yeah, right. But, uh, I go, you know, we were talking about this. You can, uh, I said but, to Gene, maybe you heard of it, you could build a terrific house with $600,000 someplace. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, right. Well, okay. I said and they laugh. House. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we build them to knock them down in one, we can knock them exactly, down in one day. Exactly, and they all get burned in New Jersey. Right. <laughs> and it, it, it's a shame. But you but, won't go back. So let's no. see what we can do. Exactly. To yeah. oh, I think, I think, the, uh, said, Ruth, I, I think with the stage hands, uh, I mean, it's up to you when you come into town to tell them, really, the union, how many you need. You make out a yellow card which tells them how many men you need to run your show. Now, uh, most of the time, that's fine. They will not make you take more men than you need. I wish I could say that about the musicians. You do have to take exactly what they tell you in that theater. It's and that is seats, isn't and, it? Uh, your card, your stagehand card really starts out of town. It starts out of town. And it's important as to what city you open in, because some cities, the stagehands union is more helpful and is not trying to saddle the production with excess stagehands. Other cities have a reputation for loading the show up, and if it's right. the first city the show plays, uh -huh. then that is the number of stagehands that show must carry from the Well, you can change it before coming into New York. Can I ask Ruth a question? You change the we had a problem with nine where we ran into a lot of ex high expenses when we had a lot of extra dressers, because when the show starts, it doesn't run as smoothly as it goes on uh -huh. later. So you might need more dressers than you, you maybe will need in a month or two, but the unions won't let you let people mm -hmm. go, so to speak. Is that correct? Uh, I'm not positive because, about that. Well, I think if you, can, if, if you can, if you can, well, I, see that open code in New York, but certainly on the road you get a chance to try yeah. it out and you know that you can eliminate those people mm -hmm. and we have cut back well, what happened uh, with mine was for one of the coming into New York. Had to close is our expenses were so high at the beginning to getting the show on. It was a complex um, show, not as complex as Grind, by the way, but we had extra people working to make sure that it would go smoothly at the beginning. Then when we realized we had too many people, but we had more dressers than we had actors. <laughs> so we had, we wanted to start to let I'm some people sure go cut back and they would not, the union wouldn't budge and we had to close the show because the expenses were unbelievable. Same thing happened with uh, some of the other shows we've done. I don't want to go into oh, it. Same but thing but if you cut a, if you a, a piece of scene where you can cut the stage hand that works at 
piece of scenery. Okay, so the latitude yeah, you can cut back. I don't understand. I mean, I'm the, not the, sure the, why the you could The latitude that the unions give for cutting back is minor or insignificant, mm -hmm. except when it comes mm -hmm. to a piece of scenery being eliminated, if you eliminate then you don't need that, that stage hand right. conceivable. Can I address a totally different area? Yes, please. It really has to do with Ronnie. We discovered something in Baltimore that I thought was rather interesting about what the life of the theater, the future of the theater might be. We went into a situation there where they have a subscription season, which doesn't exist in New York any longer. There's no longer any theater guild or anything of that sort, which allowed us to go out of town, and everybody says, you can't go out of town with a musical you're going to lose your tail financially. We didn't. We came out clean because there was a subscription audience there that guaranteed that we were going to have a certain amount of money for every week that we played. That's terrific. Maybe we don't have the right kind of sales situation in the theater today, too. There used to be a Theater Guild subscription here in New York where a producer knew yes. that he could come in and it, you would have a particular amount of money in the bank before right. you started. You had that at the city center thing with right. your subscribers. Very, very good right. point. And, and that doesn't exist anymore, and maybe we're not selling in the right way. Well, now that you have new blood in the theater and a new way of merchandising, maybe this should be the next thing that Sorry. should be. It exists. It exists, but it's but all... not to the degree it used to. Right? No, but let's but let's look at why it doesn't exist to the degree it used to. I run four subscription clubs, three matinee clubs of over 1,200 women who go to the and I'm mostly women. Excuse me, don't mean to be sexist, <laughs> but uh, who go to the theater every other Wednesday from October through May. I run Stubbs Preview Club which is a subscription club that I have seen shrink and Why? shrink and shrink. Why? Because the people have to pay more for their theater tickets. So there is less of a, uh, an incentive or desire to take a chance, to take the risk, to put their money down before the critics tell them what they should go to see. But I, as a producer, would love to, if I were doing more than one show a year, for example, just even two, and you could guarantee me that I was going to have a, a, a nice chunk from that group, I'd, I'd be delighted. I'd push more, and I'd sell you the tickets for a lot less. Zev Buffman tried that. Yeah, yeah. Zev, Zev Buffman tried it. Uh, McCann and Nugent tried it to some degree. But the point is, I'm, in essence, doing that now. We, we offer 30 to 40 shows. Virtually every show that opens on Broadway gets offered to our subscribers. What is the deal on the club? When you say you have clubs, how does that work? They pay a membership <laughs> fee. We send them monthly mailings. Mm -hmm. giving Do they them have the to take more than one? They have to take no tickets whatsoever. They're getting the information. It's like a book subscription, except we don't have a four-book minimum. But they respond but if they want. maybe that's the way you should do but, it. Well, but the Baltimore Theater does. They say that's you're going to get five shows a year. And, and, and they, in order to they trust the judgment of that woman who runs that organization down there that they're going to get good product. Yes. She gives them good product. Therefore, the subscription expands. Therefore, more good shows go to Baltimore. And the producers right. are happy. The audiences are happy. And you're talking about money. one venue but in one good, city. But it's a good No, they have two theaters down there. No, now they have two. No, well, only one city, it's beginning, right? That's my point. Sure, it's a beginning, but what if you had been the producer of Harrigan and Hart, and that was one of the five shows that you had promised your subscribers? Would you have those subscribers back next year? And let's take this season maybe in particular. Maybe some of them would have loved Harrigan and Hart. Maybe, but they this never got the chance to see it. Oh, exactly. Would you all come back for another seminar? Because we now have to open this to questions. This is such a richness of experience on this. Maybe we haven't done the nitty-gritty work that we said we were going to do. 
but there certainly has been a, a, a wonderful sharing of, of information here and now. We are, you're going to have to answer questions from our audience, and I'm, I'm sorry to break this up, but it's going to continue with our questions. Would you please come up? Hi. I'm Lynn Manuel, and I'd like to ask Mr. Greenblatt something. If you come to New York and you've just seen a marvelous show in somebody's attic or basement, and you don't have $5 million in your bank account, and you want to see it produced, where, do all the, where does this money come from if you're not in that position yourself? How do you get started? As a, you want to start as a producer? As a producer. <laughs> start off with a simple question. Yeah. <laughs> Just basics. Um, well, you need to find, possibly a producer has produced some shows who has a, uh, the money. You need a, another partner that has some money and also has a following with some investors. Uh, I doubt if uh, five million dollars, if you don't have any money, you're not going to be able to put on a show, even if it's as cheap as two million dollars. Uh, I, I think you have uh, you have to find somebody to co-produce it with you. Where do you find people? Well, there's there's all kinds of books. There's theatrical index. There's there's kinds of books with tons of listing of the crazy people who want to produce Broadway shows. I I think that what you want to do is listen to what Ruth Mitchell did, because that's where you start. You start by learning about the theater and being in the theater, and then you'll find, as you go along the way, people that will help you. My name is Barbara Helen Baker. I'd like to address this question to Michael Frazier or Ruth Mitchell or anyone else who would like to answer it. Um, your um, formula for um, keeping your show running I think is wonderful, because word of mouth is a wonderful, wonderful advertisement. What I would like to know are the people that you want to see this. Who are the people you produce for? In your particular show, you had this theme of miscegenation, which is kind of controversial. What did you do with that theme when you got, who are these people you're producing for and how does that affect your product? We're producing for the public in general. We're not producing for any one audience. I mean, with, because of the economics involved, you can't afford to, to specialize your audience. So we hope to appeal to all intelligent, fun-loving people, uh, black, white, uh, whatever. Uh, there, there was no limit intended. It's everybody. People exactly. who want to be entertained, people who also want to maybe hear something that's important that's going on today in the world about how we're trying to deal with all the problems around all of us that affect our everyday lives. I mean, the play takes place in the 30s, but everything that's in that play is going on right, right. now on the front page of the New York Times. That's right, and I noticed people were coughing during this. People are still uncomfortable with that thing. You wouldn't think so much, but I happened to be at your opening night, and I noticed a lot of coughing during those scenes, which I, I I'm was delighted surprised. when people cough they're yeah, nervous, because they're nervous, because that's, that's, right. that's what makes the theater unique, yeah. that you can put people on edge and make them feel something mm -hmm. they don't sitting in the living room or in a movie theater. Right. Did, did you I also notice the, uh, the show, five show-stopping oh, numbers and also I the did. screaming <laughs> standing ovation? That's, that's, that's why I was interested about your point, because my, when I, re I only read two reviews, and they were not what I would have written, because despite whatever they might have criticized, it's still a show that people enjoyed seeing, and that was, and I think that's, that's exactly a very good the point idea. we want to get across. And, yeah. and as far as who we well, want to cater have. this to, one second, who we want to cater this to is we have no prejudices. We want to sell the ticket to anybody who wants to buy it. <laughs> 13,000 people. But you don't intend, I don't think you'll get a, a bid for the South African rights on this one. <laughs> we might. I'm Dave Price, and my question is really for Mr. Ash, but I assume all of you agreed on advertising. I've also seen Grind. 
And uh, unfortunately, everybody I went with and talked to agreed with the critics that they didn't think that it was a good time. But the question I have is, has to do with the approach of the advertising. The, the TV ads especially sh give you the idea it's going to be a sexy and fun show because you have a stripper and you have Bren Vereen looking at the stripper and then you have Stubby K in his comic outfit and you think you're going to see a fun show. It's not a sexy show. It's not a fun show. It's a serious show. It has some heavy messages. I'm sorry, it's a question that needs to be so answered. The, the not question a is, do you think you've misled, think, uh, do you think that advertising deliver. somewhat misleads the public? And then when they get there, since they're not getting the sexy fun show that they think they're going to get, they say, oh, I no, don't, I don't well, think it let's is. Let's hope not. And I think you can talk to them afterwards. But right now, we want to be able to answer questions. Well, Thank that was you. my question. No, I don't Please. believe so. I don't both. think it's misleading. I think it is a sexy, fun show. I think it's a lot like Cabaret. It's a show on several levels. I think it is uh, definitely sexy. I think it's got Ben Vereen and a lot of good dancing and costumes and sex, uh, sexy girls. Uh, yeah, there's an underlying theme, just like in Cabaret with the uh, Nazi movement coming in. Uh, in its 30-second commercial, you certainly can't and shouldn't, should not, in my opinion, try to tell the whole story. Uh, I think it represents the show very fairly. It, and that was a temporary spot uh, to entice people to come see the show. We are now going to do a, a much more elaborate production spot. More sexy. Thank you, Jeff. Would you like to My name is Ira Gassman. Uh, first, I'd like to say that I had the pleasure of seeing Grind, and I, I certainly recommend it to anyone who cares about the musical theater. Uh, my question is directed to Mr. Frazier. Hello, Michael, and Mr. Greenblatt. Earlier, uh, Mr. Greenblatt said that, uh, or from what you were saying, it sounded like uh, you and the other producers played a very active role in the creative aspects of the show, or the product, as you put it. Uh, my question is, is what has become the director's theater now becoming the producer's theater? Absolutely not. We have a director that uh, nobody can replace and no producer can replace. We have input, we have our opinions, and we pass them on to, this particular case, Hal Prince, and he makes the final decisions, and, and we're proud of every decision he's made. Uh, our input is hopefully the public input. We are laymen that go to the theater and enjoy the theater, and we want to uh, give our input as you have when, and when you see a show. And we suggest things to Hal and Hal ties it all together or not and uh, makes the most of everything or sometimes even ignores us. Michael? <laughs> I, I, I think we're, we're, we're becoming a more important element again. I, I wouldn't say that it's going to be the producer's theater. But one of the questions that we discussed before was uh, the issue of what general managers are and, and why the theater got in its conditions because producers didn't pay attention. They were people who were just in it for dilettantish reasons. That's not what this group is about. We do, have, we do give our artistic input. Whether or not it's always heard is another issue. But uh, Hal has been wonderful in this. He's listened to everybody. He's taken the suggestions. He's implemented them. And, and more importantly, because Hal knows both sides because he, is, he was first a producer before he was a director. So I think he, he recognizes that what a producer should be is an objective source uh, to evaluate a piece of work as it's developing. And I think that's what we were all the way through. He invited us to, I think the beauty of this is that he, he sort of asked us to be part of the, um, it was, it's his decisions, but he listens. And uh, it was a joy to work with him. As we've said all along, this is a collaborative effort. 
And we were always there, too. There wasn't, there wasn't a, I don't think it was a performance in the development of this thing in Baltimore or during previous, in New York, where there wasn't a majority of us present as a producing group, or at least one or two of us. The producers better get more active, or the, that's, that's uh, one of the problems with theater, but as far as taking away the responsibilities from the director, it won't happen. Well, could I say that when you speak about producers who don't take the proper care of their property, as you call it, and are not economical and so forth. You're not talking about producers like Alpha Deliagra no. or, or the, you know, the real producers right. because they, they cut, they watch every penny. No, I'm, and I, I it, mean there's, a, there's an interim group there. That, well, that's it, but you have to make a difference, you know, when you're sort of attacking producers. <laughs> no, they don't <laughs> make them like that anymore. That's right. <laughs> They're absentee yes. landlords. They haven't until right. now. Right. Mm -hmm. Would you add to your there's next? There's been a lack of it. Yeah, my name is Ernest Goldsmith, and I'd like to ask either Mr. Fraser or Mr. Greenblatt, or both preferably. The Dramatist Guild has just approved a new contract but it's not the same formula that you people have used. Do you feel it's a good step forward? Do you think it's a good formula? And can uh, the theater survive with that aspect of it? I don't think the theater can survive with the formula that they've come forward with. It definitely is a, a step in the right direction, but I feel they should sit down with us and let them understand our formula. And we're not saying our formula's end all and beat all, but we th certainly think it's a much, it's a giant step in the right direction, where theirs is a little tiny step um, in, in the right direction, but it certainly will not save the theater. It'll have a lot of the same problems that we've had all along with the exact form that they've come forward with. We, we waited for, for uh, many, many years for the Dramatist Guild to make the move, and uh, our formula was there in public before theirs, were, theirs was finally announced. It's a shame that we had to, to push them into it in the way that they did. We didn't do it just with our agreement, but uh, we were there first. They've had years to redevelop their structure, and they're just now getting to it. And theirs isn't approved yet, by the way. Um, it's just still, it's still in the discussion stages. It has not been signed no, and ratified. their membership has not ratified it yet. Thank you very much. Would you come up, please? <clears throat> My name is Marion Covet, and this is for um, Mr. Greenblatt. At what step do you become involved in the casting process? When do you begin to sit in at the auditions? And how much influence do you think you should have? We sit in from the first day. From uh, the EPIs? Oh, I'm sorry. No. Uh, no. no from no. the first day of, that the people start coming to the auditions, from the actors start coming to the auditions, and we watch. As far as our input is, we have, again, our board, and we give Ruthie, uh, in this particular case, Ruthie, our, our input, and uh, she and Hal make the final decisions. But I mean, you're no. there from day one, from no. the cattle call? Not from no. the cattle right, call. You're there when it's narrowed down. They're there from right. the finals. But it's a long, it's a full day for each, sometimes Ruth, two, three days. you want to take no. the step yeah. by step? I, I can help them out because uh, I do all the preliminaries for weeks and weeks and weeks. Mm -hmm. And after I have the group that I want the producers and the director to see, then that's uh, a <laughs> semi-final. And then there were several days of semifinals, and then into the finals. If it came down to um, a tie between two people, who would have the final say, and who, on um, which actor? It's a. Uh, it has to be a general uh, consensus. Consensus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No one is the muscle. No, it's well. Yes. Well, <laughs> 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 Mr. Prince. Mr. Prince is the. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's yeah. the last yeah. say. The other day is, is, is it's ultimately the director's choice. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The director has to work. And most of the time, it'll be the choice that everybody agrees with. We, we really disagree. If it's a, certainly a, an important part, it will be. Uh, everybody will agree on that decision, mostly. Okay, we had just one more question. Agreed a short everything. C.A.R. Right. Smith, the character actor, of course. Mr. Greenblatt, <laughs> you were saying with such oomph and conviction about 
it's my play, quote unquote, in that I'm going to put a lot of my money in. It's almost a religious conviction. As you were growing up, when did you get religion? <laughs> I was bar mitzvah. I know. I'm... <laughs> In the theater. I was. I, my you birthday, go to the theaters, you I think I can answer that question. Okay, uh, that answers that question. Um, I, uh, my birthday present every year was a Broadway show, so and I just love the theater and I feel that uh, it's if this theater doesn't turn around, this this country, New York City especially, is really going to lose something, and I think it's a it's a special special thing. You know, everything is a business, and the end product in this business is a Broadway show as opposed to a dress or. a piece of fabric or whatever anybody else does for a living a car. And here we're putting on a Broadway show with all the same business ethics and everything else that Lee Iacocca would do, whose name gets <laughs> thrown around. And I feel that the RN product is a Broadway show. And I think it's just that extra bit of excitement. The negative part of it is that when you have a, a dress company like Johnny's or, or whatever, a textile company, uh, um, nobody really knows how well or how badly you're doing. In this business, you are in the public completely. Like I, after I get a bad review and it's, uh, it's even I walk into my house and my kids are hanging their head. <laughs> no, 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 no movie you make is missed. I and think I'm going to have to That's the exciting it. part of it. I, I, I do this every time. And, and, and every day I feel just as badly about doing it. Because there is always so much more to be said. And when we have the kind of wonderful, knowledgeable, concerned people that we have on our seminars, and especially today's seminar, which is on the production, to have these people take the time and contribute their time and their effort for the concern of the theater with us is a really a remarkable thing. The American Theater Wing is constantly saying thank you to people in the theater. And although we are best known for the Tony Awards, it is for seminars such as these which are coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York on 42nd Street that make this an all year round organization and make this organization a very important one. We believe in theater. We believe in theater servicing the community and we have a hospital program in which we send live and wonderful talent into hospitals and we support the Saturday Theater for Children which is a program that makes the habit of going to the theater a very vital and a very important one and I hope that like the producer on today's show who went to the theater as a birthday present every year that more and more people will go to the Broadway theater and off-Broadway theater as a part of their experience of growing up. I'm Isabel Stevenson. I'm president of the wing and one more word about it. We are perhaps the longest running charity organization servicing the theater. We are an organization that depends on volunteers and we need volunteers. So if anyone here can possibly volunteer and come to the office of the American Theatre Wing, we'd be delighted to welcome you. And to those volunteers who have helped make these seminars what they are, thank you very, very much. To Jean Dalrymple, to George White, our co-moderators, and to the wonderful production team of GRIND, thank you very, very much for being here. Thank you. <laughs>